Good morning, Reading Family Church. It's good to be here this morning to share God's word with you. My name's Clayton. You probably recognize me or remember me from the car park with the high-vis vest, but that's been such a long time. But I'm really grateful to Sean for giving me the opportunity to stand here today and share God's word with you. Um, we have lovely Kayla who's going to read Luke 9, 1 to 23 for us. So let's listen to what God has to say to us in his word. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he thought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodgings and to get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy more food for all these people. For there are about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If any one would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Thank you, Kayla, for reading that passage of scripture to us. And just to recap, Luke 9, 1 to 23 covers very quickly God's instructions to the disciples to go out and preach and heal. It talks about him feeding 5,000 people and this miraculous way in which he did it. But the most important of Luke 9, 1 to 23 is that we get to know who Jesus is. Now, in Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus raise 
a child from the dead. We see a woman who was plagued for 12 years with a severe illness being healed by just touching the hem of his garment. We see a legion of demons being cast out by Jesus. We even see Jesus calm a storm. The legion of demons know who Jesus is. But the disciples ask, who is this that even the wind and the waves listen to him? So we are going to look through Luke 9, 1 to 23 of who Jesus is. Now, there was no privacy for Jesus. So if any of us have been uh, fortunate enough to visit any Middle Eastern town or even the Holy Land, we'll find that the streets are very narrow. And even on better days, they are crowded. But when Jesus was walking through these streets, the crowds were there eager to see who this Jesus was. And they pressed on him. And then in the midst of this, Jesus asked, who touched me? And Peter like says, Lord, come on, let's get serious here. Look at all the people around us. There's so many people. We're getting touched all the time. But Jesus says, I felt the power leave me. So today, through this passage, we are going to look at Jesus's miraculous provision. We're going to look at his proclamation and we're going to look at his power and purpose. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Open our hearts and our ears to hear your word. May my words be clear and my sentence, sentences be able to be understood by those who hear them. Use us today, Lord. We pray, open our hearts so that we can hear your word and we know who you are to us. In Jesus' name. Now, many of us as Christians do not understand who Jesus is. We may follow Jesus, but do we really submit to him? We are sometimes selective in what Jesus does and doesn't do for us. We need to understand who Jesus is. One of the most important verses in this passage that we've just read is often unknown to Christians. But I'm going to come back to that a little later on. Now in Luke 8, we see Jesus calm the storm. We see Jesus raise a child from the dead. We see Jesus heal a woman who was plagued for 12 years with an illness. We see him cast out demons. In Luke 9, we see him feed thousands of people. Jesus was on his way to Caesarea Philippi to have a breakaway or a breakout session with his disciples so that he could use this opportunity to tell the disciples of who he was. But then the crowds have seen Jesus. I could probably see a child running along the seashore saying, there's Jesus, I can see Jesus. Did you see Jesus? I saw Jesus. And the crowds are just following Jesus through this. The crowds are drawn to him. But guess what? Jesus is also drawn to the crowds. He welcomes the crowds. And the disciples are probably thinking to themselves, oh, here we go again. Another crowd. When will we be alone? But Jesus always welcomes the crowd. He is teaching and preaching and the crowds are excited and they're hanging on to his every word. They're lapping up everything that Jesus is saying. They are waiting in anticipation for another miracle. 
because maybe someone in the crowd didn't witness one of Jesus' miracles yet. And this reminds me of when Tex and I went to the Royal International Air Tattoo a few years ago. And the day that we were there, we were waiting to watch the typhoon display. And for some reason or the other, it kept getting uh, delayed. And we were watching the time as to whether we were going to get back to Reading on time to catch our train. And um, so we kept extending the time. Oh, I wonder if it's going to be now. And I wonder if it's going to be now. And finally, as we came to the end of the day, we decided now it's time to pack it up. And guess what? We hear the roar of those typhoon engines. Do you know how excited we were to see this typhoon display? Now, Tex and I get excited about airplanes. Imagine being in the presence of Jesus. Imagine this crowd. How excited they were to listen to what he was saying, to have heard about these miraculous things that he was doing. They were waiting in anticipation. And Jesus was using this opportunity to teach the crowd and to preach to the crowd. But guess what? The disciples come up and say, uh, oh, by the way, Lord, uh, I think it's getting late now. We need to send these people off because I don't think they have food. And uh, how are we going to feed them? What are we going to do? And uh, Jesus says, you feed them. Uh, sorry, Lord, did I hear you correctly? Did you say feed them? How are we going to feed them? Now, just to put this into perspective, Biblical scholars estimate the crowd that Jesus was talking to on that day to be in the region of around between 25 and 27,000 people. Yes, the gospel talks about 5,000. That 5,000 is referenced to only men. Now there were women and children in that crowd as well. Now, if you want to visualize how many people that is, I'm sure most of us in Reading know the Modeski Stadium. And we've been there when we have our one service together. And you sometimes have a glimpse of the pitch. Now, Modeski Stadium, according to stats, holds 24,000 people. That's in the stands. And if you put another 3,000 people on the pitch, that will probably give you about 27,000 people. Now, I don't think there are that many kebab vans in Reading to supply 27,000 people with food or chip shops to give you enough fish and chips to supply 27,000 people with food on a short notice. And the disciples are worried, well, what are we going to do? And they say, Lord, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, what do you have? And uh, they come up and they say, well, Lord, we have five loaves and two fish. Well, to be honest, it wasn't them that had five loaves and two fish. It was a little boy whose mother had packed his lunch for him of five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, well, bring it to me. So, Jesus then says to the disciples, well, get everyone to sit down in groups of 50. And the disciples are, oh yeah, like Lord, now you're giving us a logistical solution here. We don't need organization. What are we going to do? Sit down in groups of 50 and starve to death. But the people listen because Jesus said, sit down in small groups. And what Jesus did was he took those five loaves two fish and he looked up to heaven and he blessed them and he gave them to the disciples to feed the crowd and the crowd ate till they're full it wasn't a ration of one time this was a buffet a go back again buffet and they ate to their full but 
The crowd wasn't the only people that were, that were hungry that night. The disciples were hungry too. And Jesus said, go collect what is left over. And they picked up 12 baskets full. 12 baskets full of food. And they were able to eat as well. Now that is the kingdom principle that Jesus is teaching us here. If we feed others first, we will be fed. If we feed ourselves first, we will starve. The sinful kingdom is a kingdom of scarcity. The kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom of abundance. Because Jesus is the king of abundance. Ephesians 3.20 says that he will exceedingly abundantly supply more than we can ever imagine. So, when we feel scarce, we focus on ourselves. When we see abundance, we focus on others. So Jesus has calmed the storm, raised the dead, and he is still not known by who he is and what he is. He is God's provision to us. His goodness is never failing. But the disciples still don't know who Jesus is. I want to share something where I've experienced personally God's provision and providence for us. When we had a life group in South Africa, um, we decided to, to do an outreach to an informal settlement that had a primary school. And at that primary school, there were about 200 children. So we were going to supply school supplies as well as a hot meal on that Saturday to these kids. Now, our intelligence told us that we were going to have about 200 plus 50 helpers. So that's the number that I catered for. But because the word went around that a hot meal was going to be served, as I looked out of this mobile kitchen that I was preparing the food in, I saw this line just snake down. And someone, I said to someone, can you check how many people are there? And someone came back and said there are about 400 people in this line. And I was like the disciples. Lord, what are we going to do? But then I was reminded about this miracle, not only in Luke 9, but which is mentioned in every of the other Gospels. And I said, Lord, you are going to bless this food. You are going to become our provider here. And we fed every single person in that line. And all the helpers were able to eat as well. We didn't do it in our strength. We did it in the provision that God gives us. So, we live in a culturally confused socially confused, morally confused world, in a confused.com world. We have an advert on television that's supposed to give us some direction through the irony of confused.com. But Jesus gives us certainty. There is no confused.com in his world. It is not what we think about God's word that is important. It is what God's word says to us that's important. It's not what we believe to be right. It's what God's word says is right. It's not about having the Bible in the bedroom. It's about having the Bible in our hearts. Jesus will take us to a place of certainty, out of our cultural confusion, out of our social confusion, 
out of our moral confusion. And that is what Jesus wants to do with the disciples that day. He was going to take them to Caesarea Philippi, a place of cultural confusion, to show them who he was. Now here's the big question. Jesus sits his disciples down and he says, who do they say I am? And the disciples are very quick to answer. They say, well, some of them say you John the Baptist. Oh, but hold on, um, Herod Antipas just executed John the Baptist. So you probably the spirit of John the Baptist. Some of them say you probably Elijah, because Elijah was able to, in, in, in the days of old, raise someone from the dead. Oh, but then you probably like our forefather Moses. He struck the rock and water came out in the desert. He was able to part the Red Sea by the power that you gave him. So it's probably you one of them. But Jesus sits back and says to them, Who do you say I am? And this is the most important point. Jesus is not worried about who others say he is. He is worried about who you say he is. When we stand to before him on that day of glory, we cannot say, Sean said, my mom said, Tex said, this is who you are. We need to say who Jesus is. He is interested in our opinion. So Jesus asked the question again, who do you say that I am? And there's total silence. But then thank God for Peter, always willing to answer, and he answers, you are the Messiah sent from God. Now it's not just Peter knowing the answer, because Jesus even fed the 5,000 again, not to perform another miracle, but he performed that miracle to show the disciples his providence, to show the disciples his power, to show the disciples who he was. And the Holy Spirit is there to convict Peter to say that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter didn't know that answer, Pat off. It came from the Holy Spirit in him to know who Jesus is. So, now that we know who Jesus is, why did he come? The Jews were expecting this Messiah to save them politically and milit militarily. But... That was the acceptant hope in the Old Testament. But that's not why Jesus came. The Jews were looking for a more political than theological solution. They were looking more for a political solution than a spiritual solution. You know, often we believe that if we change something politically, we change something. But we can only change something if we change our hearts. We need to change the world spiritually. We need to change our hearts. And this is what the Jews missed. Jesus came to change the world. Yes, he came to change the world, but he also came to change us as individuals. So yes, Jesus came to save us, save our souls. Now, Jesus didn't want the disciples to share who he was. And there's a number of reasons as to why Jesus didn't want this. Firstly, he didn't want the Romans hunting him down because he was the supposed political figure that was going to rise up against the Romans, which was not true. Also, Jesus was there 
because he would decide when his appointed time would come. He would die at Passover because he is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So yes, those two powers meet at Passover, the Jewish leaders and the Romans. Jesus dies. But guess what? He rises again from the dead. Hallelujah. He has victory over death. But then, because they didn't know who Jesus is, some of them thought that he was making crazy statements. Like, your faith has healed you. Your sins are forgiven. The Son of Man has the authority and power. In the Jewish leader's eyes, these were blasphemous statements because he was equating himself to God. But Jesus came to heal and save the broken and the lost. James 13.8 says, God is constant, he is central, he is sovereign. He is better than Moses was in the Old Testament. He is better than the angels. He is better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the object of our faith. Now, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 9, it, it tells the disciples to go out and preach and teach and heal. And the primary purpose to heal, preach and teach is the primary purpose of the kingdom of God. It is to save souls. It is to heal. It is to partner in this ministry of reconciliation. Everyone is heading to an eternity either with or without Jesus. We need to proclaim the truth today. The world needs to discover the healing power of Jesus, His grace and forgiveness. Are we ready to heal? Are we ready to pray for those who need prayer? Are we ready to submit to Him? Now often we say, oh well, you know what? I, I can't do that. I'm too scared. I don't have the ability. But Jesus gives us the power and authority in his name to preach, to teach, and to heal. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, in this difficult time, um, to, 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 to lay hands on someone and pray has been difficult because we cannot touch people. But my brother-in-law has been ill for some time. And we've been praying for him. And we've been standing on the power that God has given us in his word to say that you have the power and authority in me to touch and to heal. And praise God, we can see God working in Alexis's life today. And he's being healed every day. And we give God all the praise and glory for that. Jesus is our provider. But before he's our provider, I just want to come back to that point that I mentioned earlier on. The one verse that most of us don't realize as the most important verse to us as Christians. And that is in Luke 9.23 and it reads, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Now, he is our provider. Jesus is our power. Jesus is our authority. Not only does Jesus calm storms, raise people from the dead, and feeds thousands, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of the living God. He is the King of kings. 
He is the Lord of Lords and we need to worship him as God. Jesus for me, he is my savior. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my protector. He is my power. He is my authority. He is my fortress. But most of all, he is my God. That's who Jesus is to me. Who is Jesus to you today? Let's just pray. Father, you are the great God that we serve. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But today, Lord, help us to realize who you are. May we learn who you are to us today. Be our savior, be our peace, be our joy, be our fortress. In Jesus' name, amen.